just before I do anything else, I'd love to highlight a couple of things. Um, the first of which is to say, at the back today, there are some new magazines. We'd love you to pick one up for you and one for somebody else. So do take two and pass one of them along. I seem to be coming up terribly loud up on the platform here. I don't know if there's any chance of... Even I'm disturbed by that. So everybody else must be terribly disturbed by it. So there's a whole table full of these by the sound desk this evening. Do go and um, pick uh, two of those up at least and take them and share them. And it's got some great pictures in there as well. And then one other thing, if I could just highlight this. Um, uh, We have, uh, every now and again, as you know, there are um, different events we do for... Um, groups of people and this is an awaken event that means it's a Saturday morning breakfast or brunch Um, it's always a terrific event it's for women only Um, but I'm advertising it because the speaker is Di Archer Di Archer is an amazing speaker and she um, is talking about finding God in the tough times and um, her daughter is coming with her and Di is both, a, she's a journalist, a theologian, she's uh, an editor, uh, she's a speaker, um, but she's also a mum. And as a mum, they've been through a period of difficulty with some issues to do with eating and food in their home. And uh, her daughter's coming to share some of that honestly with others. And it, I can't encourage the women enough, come along to that. Not, not that you necessarily need to hear it, but you never know someone else that might. And you never know when you've heard somebody else's story that you could put hope into somebody else's life and direct people in the, put people in the right direction. So you're in for a treat of a morning. It will be inspiring, encouraging, great to be a part of, and you'll be given something to take away uh, to be equipped both for your life and for other people's lives. So that's on Saturday the 8th of June, 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. It's £4.50 per person, and uh, you can sign up um, uh, in the welcome area at the back. There's a place to sign up. Please do sign up for that. Okay, if you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, go and grab one from the back, and uh, we'll have a little look at this together. If you don't want to grab one from the back, you can open your phone, or whatever you've got on you and uh, look up your Bible in there. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. If I can just read this through first and then we're going to have a little bit of a look at it together. Father, would you bless this word to us this evening that it would encourage us as uh, followers of you to know how to follow you more faithfully, closer, and more devotedly. In Jesus' name, amen. So the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went up to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas has bought a field, the money he received for his treachery, falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, Let his home become desolate, with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who are with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called uh, Barabbas, uh, uh, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you've chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in his ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Well, I don't know if... um, uh, Let me just set the scene. Uh, This uh, is uh, Luke's second book. So uh, his... First book, uh, he is the, the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, he tells us about the dirt from the birth through to uh, Jesus' life, through to his death, resurrection, and then ultimately through to his ascension. And he writes it for somebody who is described as a friend of God, a Theophilus. So he's writing it as a historical record for somebody else to take to have for themselves an account of Jesus' ministry. And in Acts, Luke continues the same story. So he's written one book, and this is the second uh, book. It's the, it's the, the sequel to it. Um, uh, and he writes with uh, some confidence. He wants to see the work of Jesus continued. Um, he knows that it's being continued through the Holy Spirit, through, with the Holy Spirit's help through the apostles to reach the world with the gospels, with the gospel. And there's a confidence in what Luke says because he has recorded already um, uh, uh, evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, over a period of about 40 days. Uh, We know that Jesus made at least 10 appearances to different people at various times um, uh, and to one time to more than 500. That's recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. But ranging from individuals, Mary, James, Peter, through to groups of people. And he ate with them. He prepared meals for them. Uh, He invited them to physically touch him. He gave them absolute proof of his resurrection from the dead. So Luke is writing Acts from a place of being convinced that this person that he's writing about 
is the Messiah. He is the risen Lord Jesus. He is the one in whom he's hoping everyone will put their hope. Last week, Mark was reminding us at the beginning of this um, uh, chapter that uh, uh, Jesus had given final instructions to the disciples concerning the kingdom of God. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And uh, as they're, they're there, Jesus ascends into heaven. And we're today in the last bit of Acts chapter 1. This is it's almost like um, Luke's introduction to what he's working towards. And we're going to get there next week with Acts chapter 2 verse 1 following when the Holy Spirit, we see the day of Pentecost and, and how the church changed on that one day. But here, the people are in a time of waiting. That's what Luke tells us. So at the beginning of Acts, the people are in a time of waiting. Jesus has, has uh, risen, he's ascended, the spirit has yet to fall. And so they're in this time of waiting. And they return to Jerusalem and they go upstairs to the room in the house where they were staying. It would have been the same room that they'd have shared the Last Supper with Jesus in. And I'm sure they returned with mixed feelings. There'd have been wonder at seeing Jesus just ascend into heaven. It would have caused huge discussion amongst them. There would have been joy at his promised return. He said he's going to return again. Already, He's talked to them in Luke's gospel about the fact he's going to die and return. They didn't really believe that, I don't think, at the time. Then he returned. Luke's writing with the confidence that he did return. And now he ascends and he says, I will return again. And they're like, well, he did it once. He's going to do it again. He you know, went down to the grave and came up. Now he's gone up to heaven. He'll come down again. There will be a return of the Lord uh, to come. And no doubt there would have been excitement as well about the commissioning that he had given them. The promise of them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But we have to understand that this group had yet to receive that power. This group had yet to experience. You see, we've experienced it, haven't we? We've experienced it. We know God at work. We know when we open our lives and allow the Spirit to fill us, things change. We know when we pray for people, things happen because God is alive and the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. We know that happens. We know that people's lives get transformed. The disciples knew by Jesus commissioning that that happened. They knew that when they went out, he sent them out first the 12, then the 72, he sent them out. They did things. But now, <clears throat> then Jesus was with them. But now, Jesus isn't with them. He's disappeared. He's promised the Spirit will come and help them. And they're in this in-between time. So they're waiting to see what happens. And I don't know uh, what they'd have felt ultimately, but... Perhaps they'd have wondered how long the wait would be. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a period of waiting. Have you been in a period of waiting? You know, you're hoping for something to happen. And will it ever happen? Is, is it ever going to come right? Waiting perhaps for someone to get healed. Waiting for a prayer to be answered. 
waiting for exam results to come through, waiting for test results to come through, all of those things. You, we wait, don't we? We wait for these things to come through. And the period of waiting is always a difficult period. It's often a time of confusion and question. It's, if we're waiting for exams, to, exam results to come through, we can swing, can't we, from I'm sure I did okay and it'll be all right to I completely messed up and I'm going to fail that. Anybody here know that feeling? You know? or, or, or maybe you're, you're waiting for the, the results of a health check. Uh, and, and we can swing from everything is going to be fantastic, it's going to be all right, to I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, we, we can swing in these, in, in, at different times. A period of waiting can be a very difficult period. I remember, um, it's lovely to have my little fella here, Joss, on the front row tonight. Perhaps my hardest period of waiting was when he was on a life support machine in Great Ormond Street Hospital. And Lindsay and I were over his body thinking, is he ever going to come back to life? And it was a period of waiting when we just had to rely on God. We just, Lord, we have to put everything in you. And you just wait. And, and in that waiting, there can be absolute confusion. Are, are you there for us? Are, are you going to hear our prayer? Do, even if you don't hear our prayer, what does that mean for us? How do we work that out in our lives? What does that look like? And I remember my Linz, who's on the front row as well, saying, she said, this, she said, it's a good job that it happened to us because we have a faith in Christ and we're stronger than most families. When she said that, I thought, I'm not sure I'd have had the strength to say that. But it is true. As Christians, we have an eternal hope that this life is not all there is. There is eternity to look forward to. That's why Jesus said he's coming back again. There is this ongoing hope and we will live there one day. As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we will live there one day. But waiting is a difficult time. Okay, I'd love you to watch a little clip of a film. Here's someone who's waiting. And I've used this clip because it's just, it shows how painful waiting can be. How many of you have seen the King's Speech? Okay, nearly everybody, not everybody. Um, so, so uh, well, you'll, you'll get it. But he's, he's waiting, he's waiting for the words to come and you'll see the struggle that there is. Okay, thank you. If we could put the lights out, please.
Good afternoon. This is the BBC National Programme and Empire Service, taking you to Wembley Stadium for the closing ceremony of the Empire Exhibition, where His Royal Highness the Duke of York will read a message from his father, His Majesty King George V. Fifty-eight British colonies and dominions have taken part, making this the largest exhibition staged anywhere in the world. Remember, sir, three flashes, then steady red means your life. Using the new invention of radio, the opening ceremony was the first time His Majesty the King addressed his subjects on the wireless. At the close of the first season, the heir to the throne, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, made his first broadcast. And today... His younger brother, His Royal Highness, the Duke of York, will give his inaugural broadcast to the nation and the world. The king. Painful, painful but real. And uh, if you haven't seen the film, the film is the story of his stutter and um, his seeking to try to overcome it. That's the first four minutes. Watch the film if you haven't. It's a brilliant film. It's really worth watching. But waiting, he was waiting for the words to come out. How painful that waiting was. How painful, full, full of difficulty full of tension, full of disappointment, full of brokenness in the lives of others. Sometimes waiting can bring disappointment. Will it ever happen? Will my dreams ever be fulfilled? Will my prayers ever, will, will my prayers ever be answered? And the question has to be, what do we do while we're waiting? That's what uh, the disciples are in that period of here. What do they do while they're waiting? Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. So they're waiting. They're in a period of, of difficulty, of not knowing that they can't go forward 
They can't go backwards, they just have to wait. A most frustrating time. I'm sure that you, like I at different times, have experienced that. So what did they do? What can we learn from them? Here's what they did. Look together at verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. The first thing that they did was they devoted themselves to prayer. The first thing that the disciples are led to do with their period of waiting is pray. Prayer is such a powerful friend. Prayer is a way of inviting God into your situation, whatever that situation, when you're in a period of waiting. Prayer is a way of saying, I don't have to stand in this alone. I can stand in this with God Almighty. He'll be with me in it. I'm not going to struggle on my own. I'm not going to feel there's nothing I can do. In this period of waiting, I can pray. Let's just reflect for a moment about where the disciples first learned to pray. Do you remember the model of Jesus? Jesus retreated early in the morning to pray. That was the thing that he did. He was one who sought solitude with God. He knew that that's where his strength would come from. He knew that was really important. He knew if the Son of God knows that's one of the most important things you can do at the beginning of the day, I wonder how we're doing in that same model, whether we too would find that strength. Jesus was somebody who says, That he didn't do anything his father hadn't guided or directed him to do. He was constantly in touch with his heavenly father the whole time. Jesus was somebody who had this amazing prayer life. The disciples were commissioned. You remember they were commissioned, the 12 of them were commissioned to go back to, in Luke chapter um, 9, to go back to where Jesus had already been ministering. Therefore, the ground was fertile. People were used to his ministry. Jesus had been doing some most amazing things. And Jesus says, go back to where I've been and you do it without me. And they went back and they come back to him and they say, it's amazing. In your name, even the demons flee. In your name, people are healed. In your name, people come back to God. And then, then just the next chapter, chapter 10, he sends 72 ahead of him. Now, they're going to where he's not been. So they're going to a place where he's yet to minister, where there isn't that experience of the ministry of Jesus. And they go and they come back and they say, it is amazing. In your name, the demons flee. In your name, people are healed. In your name, people come back to God. In your name, peace comes. And the next chapter, chapter 11, this is what the disciples say, because they've learned something. They say this at the beginning of chapter 11. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What a terrific question. They've suddenly realized something. There they've been out doing something. This is amazing. <laughs> and they come back and they go, okay, we need something that you've got and we don't have it yet. And we see that you find it in prayer. We see that this is crucial to your life. We see that you put this above almost everything else. And he taught them how to pray and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. 
He taught them that, that God is the giver of our daily provision. He taught them that God will hear our prayers if we're people of generous hearts and minds. He taught them the importance of forgiving others, that they too would know forgiveness in their own lives. And in this teaching on prayer, he taught us that we must pray and never give up. He taught us to be like the persistent person who knocks at somebody's door, waiting for a response. And he says, if you, if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right there, back in chapter 11 of Luke, way before we get to Acts of the Apostles, way before we get to Pentecost, way before we get to anything else, he says, if you're people of prayer, the Lord will give you the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, first thing they did, he's talked about the Spirit, he's taught us this in prayer. The first thing we've got to make sure is on our agenda, is on our hearts on a daily basis, is to be people of prayer. You see, prayer, real prayer, is life-creating and life-shaping. It's not about a method, but it's about a way of life. William Carey famously wrote this, prayer, secret, fer- secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Because when we pray, God comes into our life. When we pray, we open ourselves up to our Heavenly Father. When we pray, we change tell you a little secret. I, I often have lots of things I want to pray for. I don't know if you've ever gone with a list of things to God. I sometimes think, oh, I need to pray for that and that and you know, all sorts of things. And, and before I pray, I always have a little habit of just uh, uh, being quiet. I, I um, often would pray in the car if I have the privilege of uh, driving in the morning and, and uh, perhaps doing a school run on the way back. I'll, um, I'll pray in the car on the way back. But before I pray... I'll always worship. Now that's quite painful if other people are in the car, so I don't do it when other people are in the car. But I'll just do it myself, and I sing the same song. I sing the same song because I'm I'm a, a bear of little brain when it comes to music. So I I can only really sing two songs. I can only either sing faithful one, which I know all the words to very well, or I can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. No. <laughs> We won't sing it. But, but the, thing is that, the thing is this, the thing is this, is when you do that, when you do that, something changes in your list. The list changes. Because something of you connects with God. And when you connect with God, things change. And your list changes. And all of a sudden, my list gets terribly short. And the things of God become incredibly important. And it seems to me that Jesus knew how to pray. And the disciples had seen that in him. And they too wanted it. And obviously through their life cycle with him, they'd begun to learn it. And in their period of waiting, they knew that this was of ultimate importance. This should be first on their list. And so it says they gathered together they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Uh, Pete Gregg started uh, 24-7 prayer rooms uh, a few years ago. 
But the disciples got there first. Constantly in prayer. Non-stop praying. We had 24-7 prayer here for a week um, uh, building up to Easter. I thought it was one of the, I thought it was such a special time. And the prayer room was so amazing. And being in there felt like being in just an amazing holy place. And I, I don't know, I've been thinking this week, I, I was mentioned it to my wife Lynn's that you know, maybe we should just put a room by so that there is space for anybody at any time who needs to. Just come and pray. Because it, there's something about that, isn't there? There's something about going to pray. There's something about that that says this is reserved as a holy space where we can just connect with our Heavenly Father. If it's that important, maybe we need to do something more about that. If you look back in history, you'll see that those who have walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. In Psalm 63, we're told that David's desire for prayer raised him early each day. It says, early will I seek after you. Martin Luther says this, I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I bet that readjusted his email list, if he'd have an email list. I bet that would readjust our priorities. I bet that would change our focus. Because it seems to me that prayer changes everything. And the disciples had discovered that. And in their waiting, they turned to prayer. I wonder how we are in our waiting. Are you a person of prayer? Are you somebody who will quickly turn to prayer? Jesus encourages to pray. Paul encourages to pray. Daniel prayed. David prayed. Moses prayed. Abraham prayed. Simon Peter prayed. Timothy prayed. James prayed. John prayed. Mary prayed. Ruth prayed. The list goes on. They're all people of prayer. Prayer is so, so important in our lives. Don't think that by stopping and praying you're not achieving anything. You're achieving masses more than you could achieve through your activity if we be people of prayer. Now, don't hear me wrong there. Jesus was both a person of prayer and a person of activity, and you need both. But note he put prayer first because prayer shaped his heart to guide his activity or prayer shaped the disciples' heart to guide their activity. So I'm just going to put it out there. I wonder what you're waiting for. Prayer is a great place to wait. I wonder what you're anxious about. Prayer is a great place to be anxious in. For it says when we come to God, he'll give us his peace. Prayer is a great place. If you're fearful, prayer is a great place to be. So they first, they, they, they turn to prayer. Secondly, I see that they turn to God's word. They turn to scripture. This is really interesting. Peter gives us here, seems he gives us a, a detailed explanation as to why they were replacing Judas. And he quotes a couple of Psalms. I'll just read one of them to you. Psalm 109, it says this. Um, they say, get an evil person to turn against him. Send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. 
Let his years be few and let someone else take his position. That's Psalm 109, beginning at verse 6. Peter turns, turns to God's word and he says, what should we do now? Judas has gone. He betrayed Jesus. He turns to God's word and he says, we need direction from here. And he finds direction from God's word. These are people who have seen Jesus do incredible miracles. These are people who've heard great truths about God. These are people who've both experienced and seen his care and compassion for others. These are people who now in the upper room are wondering about tomorrow. These are people who've endured three agonizing days of confusion and fear as, as, they hear, as they've watched Jesus die. These are people who now have confusion about the future. What do they do? Where do they go for their direction? They go here. They go to God's word. They say, well, what does it say? Therefore, let's live that out. Let's live it out in our lives. Let's find direction from it in our lives. And the Holy Spirit used Peter to make it clear that Judas had fulfilled certain prophecies and that with them, God had revealed what would happen long before. And so they say, we've got to search for somebody else. We've got to not be a team. Jesus promised, he seems to me, and, 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 I'm, and maybe I'm putting this there, but it seems to me that Peter says, well, if we've got a commission to go win the world and we're already one down, we've got to replace that one really quickly because we've got a whole world to win. We're on the advance, not the retreat. We're about growth, not shrinkage. We're about take the world, not retreat. That's why, that's why I'm passionate. I am absolutely passionate about church growth. I'm passionate that we find people and share faith with them, that they would come to faith and join us in the journey of seeing this world a better place because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they looked for somebody who was able to take the place of Judas and they look for someone it says who'd been an apostle since the beginning someone who'd been a follower of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry someone who John had baptized someone who'd seen Jesus death and resurrection right through to his ascension someone who'd been a first-hand witness to all that he did someone who was there to hear the great commission and Jesus says and I'll be with you as you step out in it I'll be with you as you go. And so in this time of waiting, not only were the disciples praying, but they were searching the scriptures. They were searching for God's direction. They were searching for God's heart. They were searching to say, what would you have of us? What would you have us do? What should we, what's our next step? And they found in here direction. They found in here literally words that brought life to that day that brought hope for tomorrow, that showed them what they should do uh, and how they should live, that actually gave them a map for the future so that they could entrust their lives into the hands of God. So the first thing in their period of waiting here, before the Spirit comes, they've learned through Jesus the importance of prayer, so they start praying. They've learned through Jesus the importance of honoring the word of God, the scriptures. Jesus himself did that. 
And so they turn immediately to that and they say, well, Jesus isn't here to tell us what to do. And he says, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will tell us, but the Spirit's not here. So we should do what Jesus did. And it seems to me, go to the Bible. Go to scriptures. They're Old Testament scriptures. And they became reliant on those. And the third thing they did, it seems to me, was they looked to the future. It seems to me that there was a sense of anticipation in what they were doing. I love this prayer that they prayed. Oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. Oh Lord, you know every heart. You know every heart. Help us. Help us as we seek to follow you and think of the future. They looked for a leader to take them on and Peter came to the fore. And as these guys shape themselves, as these guys plan for the future, they make themselves ready for the Holy Spirit to fall. I wonder if, I wonder if you've ever felt when, Lord, or more, Lord, or wouldn't it be great, Lord? Have you ever had those thoughts? Do you know, I walk, I walk up the road around here. Don't tell everybody because they'll think I'm completely dippy, but... I walk around the road down here and I think, Lord, every house, a Christian home. I walk past people and I pray for them. They don't even know I'm doing it. I just pray for them. And every now and again, you're able to stop and pray for somebody. We pray, pray all the time. I think, Lord, wouldn't it be fantastic? Wouldn't it be great if the whole road were full of Christian homes? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole borough of Ealing were a Christian place? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it went out from here? I'm, I'm not, I don't think it'll, I don't, it could go out from here, I don't know. I don't, I don't care where it goes from. As long as I'm something to do with a story somewhere. I'd love to ride that wave of what God might be doing across our land. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And it seems to me we've got a plan for the future. We've got to think bigger. We've got to think tomorrow. We've got to have hope in our hearts. The disciples, in their time of waiting, they prayed, they looked to the scriptures, and they planned for tomorrow. And they knew that something was going to happen because Jesus promised it. Do you know, I think we can go into every day with those same thoughts. Every day, Lord, something's going to happen today. So I need to be a person of prayer and a person of your word. And I need to pray that you will come and maybe use me in some way to bring a difference just today, today, Lord, in my life. Because I believe that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Therefore, let's pray for the impossible to be made possible even in our land.